Feeling powerless and not acting is like being hungry and choosing not to eat. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Sorry for the delay, y'all, but here is your damn episode. I just got back into town last night. I spent a couple days in New York with my mom. We went to the U.S. Open. I ate four bagels in 48 hours. I also had Chinese food. I had pizza. And I had a lobster roll. Listen, this lobster roll is reason alone to attend the U.S. Open. It is so fucking good. Um, But other than stuffing my face with carbs and cheese, I had a really lovely time with my mom. Um, We had some great conversations and laughs. And I love my mom so very much. And I just cherish the times, you know, where I get to spend quality time with her. Moving along here. Today, we are diving deep into step one of the ACA program. We admitted we were powerless over the effects of alcoholism or other family dysfunction and that our lives had become unmanageable. Now, we've talked about the ACA program throughout the podcast. So it is the 12-step program for adult children, adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. It is a spinoff from Al-Anon. Al-Anon is the 12-step program for spouses, friends, and family of alcoholics. And the way that ACA differed is that it focuses solely on the experience, the effects of growing up in a dysfunctional family. I have been on the fence as to whether I really want to dive into the steps on this podcast because this is not a 12-step podcast and I did not want to label it as such. But this is a podcast where... I talk about various tools and resources for healing, and the 12 steps of the ACA program has helped a shitload of adult children to do so. And then uh, about a week ago, I received a DM from Rebecca on Instagram, hi, girl, hi, that's weird, hey, girl, hey, Um, and she said that she had just started working the steps in ACA and wanted to know if I could share my experience in working step one because she was having a hard time grasping this whole powerlessness and unmanageability. So, Rebecca, I took your message as a sign from the universe that this is something that I should cover on the podcast. So today, we are going to be talking about powerlessness and unmanageability, what that looks like for an adult child and what that looked like for me. I think that this is a nice piggyback off of last week's topic of hitting butt. Yes, I'm still trying to make hitting butt a thing. Um, But this whole acceptance piece, part of that is accepting, recognizing our powerlessness and our unmanageability. If you're not familiar with the 12 steps, I think that this is going to be an interesting conversation for you. Even if you have no interest in working the 12 steps, there are definitely principles within it that can be applied to your life and to your healing. And then for anybody who may be familiar with the 12 steps and work them in a different program, I do think there's new levels of awareness and healing when it comes to approaching the steps with a focus on the adult child syndrome. So 
Before I proceed, I just want to make this very clear. I do not represent the ACA program in any capacity. I do not speak on behalf of them. And everything coming out of this yapper today is based off my own opinions, my own personal experience. So take what you want and leave the rest. Today will be a shorter episode than normal. Today, y'all are just getting me. How the hell are you feeling about that? Don't worry. The feeling is mutual. But to be honest, God, that is another thing that I say all the time. But to be completely honest, but to be honest, I think that y'all know that I'm being fucking honest. So maybe I should stop saying that. But to be honest, I've been wanting to do another solo episode, but there is this crazy ass voice in my head that says, Andrea, why do you think that they want to listen to you the whole time? And then I'm like, of course they want to listen to you the whole time. Andrea, this is your fucking podcast. So let's do the damn thing. I get my best clothes to test on my next shows while my whiteboard is marked up with expos. Planning out all of my next So step one for ACA, we admitted we are powerless over the effects of alcoholism or other family dysfunction that our lives had become unmanageable. Now, in a nutshell, this step is all about lifting the veil of denial, pulling our heads out of our asses. So in the Big Red Book, it says, step one requires that we admit our family is dysfunctional and the dysfunction affects our thinking and behaviors as adults. We must admit that we are powerless over the effects of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Our lives are unmanageable regardless of appearances of self-sufficiency. Social standing or compulsive self-reliance does not, I repeat, does not equal recovery. We must realize that willpower or self-determination is no match for the effects of growing up in a sick family. So we all know that my adult child syndrome manifested itself in romantic relationships, but that it took me a very long time to realize that this was what was going on with me. Now, initially, I think I attributed my dating issues to being in early sobriety or to the normal process of dating and finding myself, right? Like, that's normal, I believe. We, we find out what we want and what we don't want in a relationship through experience. But the whole premise of that is that, hopefully, in each relationship, we get a little bit closer to that ideal, and also we, you know, have, make better decisions as well. But, as you know, that was not the case for me. And I think another thing that was going on that was preventing me from seeing how big of a problem this actually was, was that I didn't hop from one relationship to the next. There were significant periods of time between each relationship, a year, a year and a half. And in that period of time, after I got over the initial heartbreak, the heartbreak that I had been completely convinced I would never get over, but always did. But once I got over that heartbreak, I felt good, y'all. I felt good about myself. I felt good about life. I had a lot of fun. My life was full and fulfilling. And so I would enter the next relationship in this state, confident, 
that things would be different this time, right? Because I was feeling so good about myself and they never were. (laughs) Nothing was ever better. And I just didn't understand how in the matter of a date or two dates, all that I thought I knew and believed about myself would just fly out the window. And it wasn't until that aha moment with Brian number one that I realized what was going on. But then in the midst of this gut-wrenching pain and anxiety, I had my first adult child aha moment. Somehow, some way, the tiniest bit of space was created between my true self and this unbearable pain that I was feeling within. And I realized that there was no way that this reaction could actually be about Brian number one. I mean, I had only known this douchebag for a couple of weeks. Plus, he clearly had a drinking problem. Plus, it seemed his parents did as well. Objectively, that is not enough time to justify this inconsolable heartbreak that I was feeling that was literally making me a non-functioning human that couldn't go to work and needed their mom to take care of them. But then I had an even more profound awareness when I realized that the way I was feeling was a feeling that I had felt often as a child. And for the first time in my life, I saw that there was some sort of connection here, that somehow the issues that I encountered in romantic relationships was somehow connected to my childhood. And that was profound um, and helped me to understand why, in spite of making countless promises to myself that I would no longer ignore red flags, I had been incapable of doing so. And then I read the ACA book and I'm like, okay, this shit makes sense. But still, after reading that book, I did not internalize that I was suffering from a disease that was just as powerful as my alcoholism or that I was powerless over the effects of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Y'all remember my comment to the lady when she told me, you know, this is going to take years for you to get over. I remember thinking, years, years, I don't have years, lady. I'm almost 30, aka I'm essentially a senior citizen and I need to have this shit fixed yesterday or at most a few months. And I really just hope that her childhood had been a lot more fucked up than mine. But but to be safe, I decided to take a year off from dating And I felt pretty confident that a year hiatus and reading that book would surely suffice. But sadly, uh, self-knowledge would avail me nothing. Just like learning you have cancer doesn't make the cancer go away, having the realization that my dating struggles were somehow rooted in childhood wasn't sufficient enough to produce any sort of internal shift. So, enter Brian number two. So last week we talked about this period of time where we sit in the pain of our awareness before we truly find acceptance. And instead of beating ourselves up over this and viewing this period of time as self-inflicted pain, I think the more accurate and compassionate way of viewing it is as gathering more data, 
doing more research. In the A Big Book, it says, We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It will not take you long for you to decide if you are honest with yourself about it. It may be worth a bad case of the jitters if you get full knowledge of your condition. So in my case, it was, we do not like to pronounce any Andrea as an adult child, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Get yourself back on that Bumble app and find yourself another Brian with a drinking problem. See if you can stop seeing him after he drunk dials you and sends you One Direction music videos. And as soon as I got off the phone with her, I saw that Brian had sent me two text messages, both of which were links to One Direction music videos. Let me remind you that Brian, number two, this man is 41 years old at the time. And for those of you who aren't familiar with One Direction, they are a boy band with a target audience of girls between seven to 14. So I text him back. I said, did a 12-year-old girl hack your phone? And then about five minutes later, my phone is ringing and it's him. And I pick up the phone and guess what? He is fucking wasted, slurring and all. Try staying in a hotel room with him for 72 hours where he drinks nonstop. Our mini staycation at the Ritz turned into three days of him drinking around the clock. It felt like being in a shitty motel that you could rent by the hour, except there were a thousand thread count sheets, room service with fancy mini bottles of artisan ketchup, and turndown service that we never actually got because we never left the room, but had we left, we would have returned with some nice little chocolates on our pillow. It will not take long for you to decide if you are honest with yourself about it. It may be worth feeling like a miserable junkie for six months when you're actually nine years sober if you get full knowledge of your condition. And guess what? It was fucking worth it because by the end of that relationship, I had full knowledge of my condition and of just how powerless I was. And I do not mean that I was powerless over alcohol or alcoholism. I knew this already. It didn't matter how many bottles of my mom's booze I poured down the drain as a kid. There was always another bottle. It didn't matter how many times I told myself that I wouldn't get shit-faced and turn into a monster. Every time I drank, I blacked out, and nine times out of ten, I was a sloppy shit show. I had no qualms about being powerless over alcohol or alcoholism, but it was in this moment that I finally saw how powerless I was over the effects of alcoholism, over the effects of growing up in a dysfunctional family. This deep soul wound that I had no fucking clue was there. I finally realized the true impact that my childhood had had on me. And I was granted the gift of full awareness. While Brian number one had slightly opened the door of awareness, Brian number two slammed it completely open. And I realized what I was dealing with, my unresolved childhood pain and the disease of family dysfunction was much more powerful than I had assumed and that my livelihood depended on facing it and that that lady had been right. I needed to treat this as seriously as I had my alcoholism. Now, powerlessness for an adult child means 
we were not responsible for our parents' dysfunctional behaviors when we were kids, and we are not responsible for our parents' dysfunctional behaviors as adults. It means that we are not responsible for going back and fixing our dysfunctional family through our present-day relationships. Whether we consciously know it or not, we feel that we failed in fixing our families. So we find ourselves in similar situations and relationships in an attempt to fix what we failed to do as children. And guess what? We fail at that shit as well. And this is what we call the repetition compulsion, which is a psychological phenomenon deemed by Freud in which we repeat the emotional, psychological, or behavioral aspects of a traumatic event over and over. Without awareness, we recreate the pain from yesterday in our relationships and circumstances of today. We repeatedly find ourselves in relationships with alcoholics or addicts or narcissists or people who are emotionally unavailable, thinking that we can somehow fix them and change them. We repeatedly find ourselves in relationships and situations that make us feel exactly how we felt as children growing up in a dysfunctional family. Now, a lot of people balk at the idea of accepting their powerlessness in any capacity because our culture tells us that we should feel empowered, that we can conquer anything we set our mind to, that failure is a result of weakness. But accepting one's powerlessness over the disease of family dysfunction does not mean giving up, and it has absolutely nothing to do with weakness. It is about accepting a harsh truth, to face a problem head on and accept that we are powerless over the impact of our dysfunctional upbringings takes a tremendous amount of strength. And it is also the vehicle through which self-compassion and self-empowerment can be cultivated. Now, I saw the underlying cause of my powerlessness as two-pronged. The first being the faulty programming, the limiting beliefs that I held about myself, that I was inherently flawed, that I was unworthy, that I was unlovable, and the irrational fears that I held, like, this is the last guy on earth that will ever like me, and this was my last chance at love. And this resulted in me finding myself in relationships with partners that affirmed and further ingrained these faulty beliefs and fears within me. And the other underlying root of my powerlessness was this stored trauma. As soon as I got into a relationship, this stored trauma would come out of hiding and I lost my personal agency. I went into survival mode and I lived in a trauma response. I lost control of my emotions, my thoughts, my behaviors, my body, and this made my life real fucking unmanageable. Unmanageability, I think, for a lot of adult children is difficult to recognize, to acknowledge, because it's all we fucking know. We grew up in homes that were unmanageable, that we thought were manageable, I said in the very first episode that what makes a family dysfunctional is not the dysfunction itself, but how the dysfunction is handled. And when the dysfunction is ever present, it's either flat out denied or even if it's acknowledged, it's never resolved. That is what we call unmanageable, even if things look nice and pretty from the outside. So unmanageability for me. About a month ago, I was going through an old notebook of mine, and I found a list 
of ways that my life was unmanageable. So this was dated January 20th, 2018. This was about a week after Brian number two broke up with me. And I've just been waiting for an opportunity to be able to share this with you all. And looky here, now is my chance. Number one, lying. I will lie to friends, families, my sponsor about various things, about how much Brian is drinking or not drinking, details of an evening, if I'm seeing him or talking to him, or lies to cover up other lies. Number two, I'm neglecting myself physically. I am chain smoking. I am not eating, or when I do eat, it's very unhealthy, and I am not working out. Number three, I'm performing very poorly at work. I am not able to focus at work because I am so anxious and in fear related to this relationship. I am making up excuses for why I can't come into work or leaving midday so that I can go pull him out of a bar or babysit him at his apartment to make sure he doesn't go out and drink. Number four, I've lost my connection with my higher power. I stop praying and meditating on a daily basis, partially out of shame because I know that the relationship is not God's will for me. And I don't want to pray for God's will or the strength and guidance because that will is ending the relationship. God, (laughs) it's raw. Number five, I've lost my control over my serenity. My mood and my mental state is completely dictated by his actions or inactions. I'm happy and fine and serene when I think that everything is going well, or I'm a complete basket case if he isn't responding to me or doesn't respond in the way that I want him to. Number six, I am a shitty friend. I will cancel on my friends or bail on them in a heartbeat if I have the opportunity to spend time with him. When I do spend time with them, I am often not present or in a fragile, negative space, desperately needing them to take care of me or say the right things to make me feel better. Number seven, I become unable to do adult-type responsibilities. My apartment is a nightmare. I am paying bills late. I am unaware of how much money I am spending, and I never check my mail. Number eight, I put this relationship over working my program. I skip meetings. I don't make much of an effort to connect with my sponsor or to do step work. I bail on my service positions. When I should be at a meeting, I am out at a bar with Brian. With <sighs> I've said this before, but this bottom, when I hit this bottom compared to when I hit my alcoholism bottom, you know, my life was so much more unmanageable because I got sober at 19 when essentially my life had been managed for me. There was truly not much damage, but there was so much more during this bottom when I hit this bottom when I was 28 years old. Now, unmanageability is a subjective experience, and it is rooted in our failed attempt to control everything and everyone. And unmanageability is what happens when we abandon our true selves. Unmanageability is when we allow the actions or inactions of another to dictate our peace of mind. Unmanageability is when we look outward to feel okay about ourselves. Unmanageability is when we sacrifice self-care for others, when we tend to the wants or needs of others at the expense of our own. Unmanageability is when we try to solve problems that are either not ours to fix or unfixable. This results in external ramifications, but we won't truly be able to address those external examples of unmanageability until we resolve what's going on with us internally. And what's going on for us internally is that we are suffering from the disease of family dysfunction. 
And what the fuck does that mean? I want to close our discussion here by reading something from the ACA Red Book that discusses this disease concept. So it says, any discussion about ACA powerlessness and unmanageability is incomplete without the disease concept of alcoholism and family dysfunction. When alcoholic or other dysfunction is present in the family, every member of the family is affected. We were affected in mind, body, and spirit. Through the first 18 years of our lives, our families had 6,570 days to shame, belittle, ignore, criticize, or manipulate us during the most formative years of our being. That is 160,000 hours of living in dysfunction with unhealthy parenting. That is 72 seasons of sorrow stored deeply in the tissues of our body. The dysfunction is encoded into our souls as the false self. To survive this long exposure to family dysfunction, our minds develop deeply entrenched roles and traits that change the meaning of words and experiences. As children, we did not have the option to leave our homes. If our parents slapped us, molested us, or neglected us, we had to live with them. We had to figure out a way to survive. Because we were vulnerable, we changed the way we perceived the emotional and physical abuse. We feared for our safety or feared we had caused these things to happen. We developed stories that minimized our parents' behaviors or which convinced us that we were wrong and deserved their harmful behavior. Such confused thinking fueled our denial as adults. The confusion allowed many of us to say that we had normal childhoods when we had lived through hell. We thought we had forgotten the abuse, but the body and mind remembered. The survival traits we lived by showed a clear path of our terror of abandonment and being shamed. During these years of family dysfunction, our inner child or true self went into hiding and remained heavily fortified under addictions or dependent behavior. This is what we mean when we say the disease of family dysfunction affects us in body, mind, and spirit. The disease survives in the language of denial and is passed on to the next generation through secrets, blame, and confusion. The disease of family dysfunction is progressive, incurable, and sometimes fatal. The disease becomes worse over time unless treated. Many adult children have taken their own lives or died from complications of drug addiction or physical ailments that can be traced to childhood abuse. This is the dire nature of the family disease of dysfunction and its great reach. But there is much hope in ACA and in sharing our pain with other recovering adult children. So there is great hope, right? We have just admitted our powerlessness and our unmanageability, which means we are now in a position to seek help, seek healing. And there are many ways to go about that, as we've discussed throughout the podcast. And I think that the 12 steps is is one of those ways that can help us along our journey. I do think it's so important that we also seek professional help. I'm not trying to push the 12 steps down your throat, but... I do believe that everyone would benefit from doing them at least once in their life. I think the world would be a much better place if that were the case, or it should at least be the case for social media. Like if you want to have a Twitter account, you should have to be actively working the 12 steps. So let me know what y'all thought about this discussion. And if you're interested in diving into more of the steps in the future. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Are you still with me, guys? Have you survived this 
past 30 minutes of listening to my voice. I hope you heard something that benefits you on your own journey. Um, If you didn't, that's your fucking problem. So now I want to share a true piece of art of beauty of soul sharing that I received from one of the members of our community here of this adult child podcast community. She has been going through it. She's been struggling, but she is confronting this shit head on. She is doing the work, y'all, which I know from my own experience, we come out better and stronger than ever before when we make it to the other side. So here is this little gem for you all. I am realizing things about myself that I have never before realized. I am seeing clearly the patterns of my life and the reasons for which they appear. I am seeing clearly the ways in which I have trained myself or perhaps been trained to make myself smaller, to prioritize others' comfort over my own needs. I am seeing how far I've come despite having felt like I've been running on fumes for 30 years. I see clearly how my unhealed childhood wounds have shown up in my life, my relationships, my relationships with men, and mostly with myself. I see myself as having grown roots in a glass jar. And now those roots are so condensed in the jar that the glass is breaking, the glass is shattering. The roots are exposed to the naked air, vulnerable and expanded. And the shattering of my glass jar is painful, but it is a freedom. I am a paradox. I am alone and yet I have never been more connected. I am in great pain, but I see the beauty. I am afraid but I am also braving the wind as it changes from hot to cold and back to a cool breeze eventually again. I am becoming free of generational trauma. I am healing ancient wounds passed down to me through the DNA and pathologies from people whose names and faces I have never known. I am a catalyst. I am a great catalyst, a survivor and instigator an iconoclast, a breaker of images. I am standing firm in the face of great icy weather, so cold it burns. I am braving generations of abandonment, neglect, terror, murder, incest, lies, pain, greed, adultery, suffering, suffering. And I am holding a flame to illuminate it, to show it, and acknowledge its existence, to face it and stare it in the face, and to let it pass. Out you go. There you go. There, there. Thanks for sharing this, Michelle. Um, You are amazing. And I'm just really excited for you on this healing journey that you're on, because I know that what's to come is fucking amazing. So you guys can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Adult Child Pod. Give me a fucking five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if you haven't. Tell everybody and their mothers to listen to this fucking podcast, please. And I will see you honky-tonks next week 
We have a great conversation about somatic healing. We got some good interviews coming up for y'all in the next couple weeks. I love how I say we as if like there's this team that's working with me when it's just literally a one-man band of Andrea. Um, But I'll see you next week. It's going to be super raw. It's going to be super vulnerable. And I am super excited for y'all to hear it. It's going to be a goodie. I promise.